Bam has really like bad. Bam has literally no ability to like host a. Sh- uh, let me phrase this right. He has like <laughs> the way. <laughs> Whoa! You know, I want to tease that, and then we'll start the show, and then we'll just see how Bam reacts, which will prove my point. Okay. protest for this. No, the 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 thing I was gonna say, real talk, was that like there's a thing you can do, Bam, when like shit happens during the show, where you just like kind of ignore it and continue letting the show happen, and that makes it much better. No, 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 not this show. Of course. Right, not this month. This is a sweep it under the rug kind of show. If we, if okay, what? What? No, go ahead. (laughs) We're live. (laughs) (laughs) I'd rather rather start the show. Okay. Uh, See, Bam's got a lawyer. All right, so um, (laughs) okay. Dershowitz. Um, (laughs) hello humans this is episode 27 of your power report i am here with dan on a power report panel episode with bam caesar and sean my co-hosts here and this week it's you know some places have infrastructure week we have israel week because um, this has been a week of a lot of news relating to that region of the world. And everyone always approaches the Israel-Palestine situation. I mean, a lot of ways, there's even ways you approach it in words that can be complicated, but everyone approaches the situation itself as though it's complex. When I think now more than ever is an opportunity to be able to recontextualize the complexity of it and get rid of it and really just like make it much more simple because it is a real simple situation of oppressor versus the oppressed in that sense. But there are certain details as to what's happening right now that I think will be really excellent to get into. Um, are we ready? Are we looking around for something? Are we watching over our shoulders to make sure there's no, um, you know. Um, it, Don't it, do it, Dan. Don't do it, Dan. Don't do it. <laughs> I, I know how Bam knows me this well. He knows the joke I'm about to make. Let, let's oh, go. Let, let's um, instead go in and just be safe about this. So, yeah, there were the, the difficult thing when you're explaining a story that ha- involves Israel and Palestine is because, regardless of where you start, you're kind of starting in the wrong place, unless you want to do like a 10 hour podcast. So, let's start with. Basically, people would understand and approach the news by seeing a lot of news headlines that are saying um, Israel launches rockets into Hamas as far as a response to um, this conflict. The Israel-Palestine conflict raises intention um, or like escalates as there are casualties on both sides and both sides exchange rocket fire during the night. But I think one of the first things that's really important to do, in this case especially, is to heavily, like very, very much content contextualize everything happening here as though it's like a reset, like we start over here. So first of all, (laughs) in order to understand, like, you have to understand the way the media sort of reads and talks about these things, because that in itself is full of a lot of different tropes that I think were really well pointed out in this um, opinion article that was in TRT World by Dinja Lejic. Um, that says, rather than providing historical and political context in a criticism of mainstream media, some dominant media re- resort to recycling of familiar tropes. The recent events were referred to as a, quote, clash or a tension or a night of chaos or bouts. 
An abundance of headlines has announced that clashes between Palestinians and Israeli police. Western media outlets obscure the Israeli origins of violence while implying a false parity of power within the Palestinians. In reality, one side is a nuclear-armed, heavily militarized apartheid regime that has legal, political, and military control over the other side, which is struggling for basic rights and sometimes mere survival. I think that's a good place for us to start. Um, And we've also done episodes in previous um, Power Report, we've done segments in previous Power Reports where we've discussed uh, vaccine apartheid that is going on in Israel, where Israel was leading the world in its uh, rollout of COVID-19 vaccines to its people, as long as you count its people as the in the Israeli territories, because the Palestinian-occupied territories, Gaza, the West Bank, etc., um, rates of getting those COVID vaccines out were abysmal. And so I'm going to come back to that little piece of things, because we've been talking about that for a long time on Power Report in the more broader context of COVID-19. But I think that context will help like paint a picture if we like put a pin in that for now. But um, bam, I know because this is like stuff you are interested in as far as like this area of the world. What were some of your thoughts as like things were happening this week, especially as we're laying kind of the groundwork as to what happened? Because this is the month of Ramadan that's like, or Ramadan just ended, mind you. Um, there's like a Jerusalem day that happened where like is usually also a celebration of like the city of Jerusalem and wh- who it should quote unquote rightfully belong to. So there were tensions that were rising um, as well. But anything you want to go into that, I'd love for you to. Well, that Jerusalem day is just a day where uh, settlers just go harass Arab uh, residents and uh, chant death to Arabs and things like that. It's some fake holiday that they made up just to be violent. Um this kind of goes back to, I'm not going to get into a whole bunch of history, but um, the Israeli policy of quote unquote mowing the lawn, which they um, prominently say, uh, openly say, uh, Benny Gantz, their defense minister, says that they periodically, I mean, it seems like they periodically want to show the people in the occupied territories, the uh, Palestinians occupied territories, who's boss. But this situation is, is a little bit different because we have the Arab the Arab residents of Israel rising up also. Um, you know, when it, when it first kind of started jumping off a bit over there, I was, because I pay attention to the region a lot, I was kind of like, well, this is stuff happens all the time. Like, they always are violating people in Al-Aqsa uh, Mosque and there's always these things going on. I didn't like, I was kind of like, well, what's different now? Um, but it has gotten a bit more uh, tense as of late. A lot more Palestinians have been killed by Israel. Um, I haven't really been checking the numbers like that. I haven't really been watching too many videos um, for my own mental health, but I don't know how many um, Israelis have died in this current conflict. Um, at the time we're recording, at least this is this morning on Saturday, the 15th of May, I think the number was around 11, 11 Israelis were dead, um, but the number's around 80 Palestinians. Okay, it's probably more. Um, it's interesting so far, because... yeah. These are yeah. developing situations. When, when you're talking about the media, it is it is crazy because... The the context of the situation is that Israel is a settler colonial power. The Palestinians there are the indigenous people of that land. Nobody could imagine 
looking back in like the 1600s and seeing the Native Americans here, the indigenous people on this land, and like Europeans coming and colonizing them and killing them and and, and committing a genocide and siding with the Europeans. It makes no sense. But that's what happens with this conflict in Israel. Hamas has very little firepower. They have defensive methods that they can sometimes use offensively. Um, Israel, as as the colonial power, they don't want anything less than the total capitulation of the people that they've occupied. They look at any resistance as... uh, any resistance as a means to like justify killing, uh, bombing whole blocks. I, you know, I, there's so many instances I remember. I'm just like, this is crazy. You trying to target one person and using a bombs that take out like six, like blocks of apartments. And there's no, um, there's no way to rein them in. I'm, I'm going to get into that later when we talk about, I'm sure we're going to talk about like the ways that these, like Israel can be reined in a bit. But um, yeah, it, it, the the context is a settler settler colonial power that is doing a systematic genocide of the people that they've occupied. Yeah, the, I think even when you dig into more of the context of this situation on its own, there were I think the first time I saw about this was there was a video of a woman who had was like noticing an Israeli like settler like squatting in her house. And this woman's like, what are you doing? Why are you in my house? Get out of here. And the Israeli settlers just like not budging. It's just like, um, this is my property. This is, I'm my, like, I live here essentially. And if I wasn't trying to uh, settle this properly and steal this properly, essentially uh, someone else would be doing it. Jacob, you know, this is not your house. Yes, but if I go, you don't go back. So what's the problem? What are you yelling at me? I didn't do this. I didn't do this. But you, it's you, easy to yell at me, but I didn't do this. Yeah, you are helping. stealing my house. And if I don't steal it, someone else is going to steal it. No, no, no one, no one uh, 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 is allowed to steal it, Yammi. And so there's protests that were happening around that. And the reason I think it's helpful to contextualize it that way is because then you see some nights of Palestinians like getting upset there get demonstrations because like this is their land that has been shrunken down over the past 50 60 years or so to what's little that's left and it's already being taken away from them right so it's they were having these protests as this was happening and of course as was happening just in the 21st century a lot these protests end up being clashes with police the protesters have rocks the police are heavily militarized and then violence ensues and kind of like bam was describing right there then that sort of leads to heightened tension because the kind of the same type of person the extremist like israeli um settler who is trying to squat in that woman's house there they represent the hard right in israel that is being heavily influenced by the party that benjamin netanyahu the current prime minister is in charge of but it's also a party that benjamin netanyahu doesn't have a lot of control over i consider this to low like um the, the right wing in israel is almost Like they're moving towards like making Israel like just the state. They want to be just the Jewish state, and that comes with ethnic cleansing essentially. And so they're trying to say they're creating legal frameworks for this ethnic cleansing. Like, oh, we actually 
put a law or we warn them to move away from this area and then we're going to move it anyways. But who's to say that they're the people who are like moving out of this area? So like, it's just a whole ridiculous thing. Well, Sean, before you go, let me just say this really, really fast. Um, the hard right in Israel is the whole Israel. There, there's no left. There's no center. The, 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 the hard uh, right again, is- are we talking about the people who are there? Or are we talking about the politicians? Because I would disagree with saying like the whole of Israel are like far right. Like the, the, there's no there, there's no one that has any modicum of power that is not hard right. There the the left what exists of the left and the so, quote unquote center has no power in Israel. Um, and also it, the thing that's crazy like somebody wouldn't even believe that there is a person coming to steal this woman's house. Like it's unbelievable to someone like. You can't like, yeah, this person came to like squat at this person's house. They didn't ask nothing. They just showed up and like they're allowed to do that. It sounds unbelievable, but this these things happen. Also, these clashes that happen, um, you know, somebody, you know, somebody kind of playing devil's advocate. Like, yeah, well, what do you what do you expect when you throw rocks at the police and things like that? Israel is one of the most like protesting populations ever. They're always having protests. The settlers like hate the state so much. They go crazy on the Israeli police. They throw rocks, they throw bricks, they steal their shields, be beating them with their own batons. The Israeli police won't fire one shot at Israeli citizens. They will not fire one shot. But as soon as Palestinians do anything to fight for their rights, it's tear gas, it's live fire, it's everything. Oh, it's quote unquote steel, uh, plastic covered bullets. But trust me, if you look, if you know what happens in Israel, those pro they protest every single day, and not one shot fired. See the a lot of parallels state, there. The the apartheid state exists, and it is it is very blatant. I think right now too, you're seeing um, uh, more. Um, uh, bombings and stuff from Israel from um, Netanyahu trying to gain more political control because they he they've had what five elections since 2019 and he hasn't yeah. been able to um, actually get a, a government a coalition together. He doesn't have enough political control and everything. So I think this is one of the ways to try and rile up the people to get into. Um, vote for him because he's really afraid of losing power. Because um, I think the elections what next month or something. It's pretty close. Um, for Israel for their newest elections coming up. So I see all of that tension, all of the um, stuff going on as um, part of a ruse to try and gain more political capital for Netanyahu as he's scared to get out of power. I mean, obviously we don't want to go into the entire history of it because this would be an 18-hour podcast, but um, some of the stuff that started where they um, banned um, uh, uh, Muslims going... um, bigger than a 10,000 uh, 10, people crowd to one of the most holy sites in Islam. And that's kind of what started off the, the ball rolling. And I think that policy was to try and gain some political capital. Um, you also have that with Hamas as well, but that's a whole different story too. So I think that's something insight that gets overlooked a little bit as well, because Netanyahu did has done a lot of different insane atrocities. He's also one of the most corrupt politicians in the entire world and is my been proven in a court multiple times on it as well. So um, I think that's something that needs to be said a bit more, especially mainstream media. No one ever calls him out that much. It's insane. Biden goes up to him and is like, oh, I talked to Netanyahu. 
never talked to any Palestinians, but I talked to Netanyahu. Like, how the hell are you going to talk to him and believe a word he says when in 2014 he, like, bombed Gaza and killed 95 or 80% civilians, something absurd like that, and you're going to let him go away and not talk to another side for it. So it's a lot of bullshit that goes on in there, and no one really talks about it too much. And if you do, then you're hushed from society. So... Bars. There's a there's a phrase I always think about when I think about this conflict, and those are those in power. Those who are in power also have the power of restraint. I think it's really easy for people to take the side of, oh well, they threw the rock and rock first. We know the size of the Israeli military. We know what they're capable of doing. I mean, just for example, this morning, you know, they bombed an entire uh, building that that had a lot of Al Jazeera media. Um, children died. It's near refugee camp. You, you, the justification for for initiating through whatever initiation they claim that you know the Palestinians did to start this off. And we have clear video counterwise, and we see the back and forth all the time. This is this is the answer you feel is 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 appropriate. You know, we talk so much about democracy and how democracy is so important in this country, but when it comes to the the Israeli conflict, people just look away, or they go, "Oh, well, you know, um, they, they the, the the Palestinians sparked it." Yeah, but how was how was a refugee camp with children justification? How was thirty one dead Palestinian children justification for those actions? How was bombing an entire business building? How was that the answer? How was that correct to you when it comes to um, solving solving the issue? It's not right. We know how powerful Israel is. We know, and yeah, what what he's capable of doing. Um, you know, and and I, the 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 videos of Al Aqsa and like Bam said, that's not the first time that's happened there. It's not the first time um, Palestinian people have been, you know, almost harassed by the situation. Um, and I don't know. I it, it's hard to to see resolve, but and hard to see. Oh, you know, what's the proper plan and what what what's in motion to help them out, but. And it only starts, it can only happen if the Israel, which is a, a massively powerful country, you know, tons of military power and money, they wield the ability to restrain and 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 adjust. It's not you can't ask the Palestinian people to do that. They're they're the impoverished, they're the ones that are that that were the original people there. They've their land has been being stripped from them. How can you ask them to stop? They're literally getting their land robbed from them. That's that makes no sense to me. If someone was coming to America and they were taking uh, a part, like Florida, I mean, which would give up, or like New York or whatever, you, the, the, what what would we do? We go, oh well, you know, we gotta dial it back. We don't want to, you know, uh, start something. No, there'd be action towards it. So it's 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 really funny how people want to play this game and not put themselves in the other shoes, the shoes of the Palestinian people, while the situation is going on. Yeah, I think you're getting to a really good thing there, Caesar. But like the way the Palestinian, like, authority, like, the way the Israeli government tries to kind of play this both sides game with, um, like, how the treatment of Palestine, of Palestinians is going. Because they try to say that, no, we are putting it and making sure that Palestinians are being treated in the best ways possible. They have all these supplies. They have, like, freedom to go wherever they want to, even though that's very clearly, mm. like, not, not true and obvious. Um, we've seen, like, all these things, like, um, Always shout out to Abby Martin and Mike Preisner for all their work they've done recovering um, Israel and Gaza and all the tensions there where you'll have like a kid who will point like 
his finger literally like across the border where like these Israeli soldiers are and the Israeli like IDF forces will have like a sniper rifle aimed at his head with a red dot and everything. Like it's just, that shows the imbalance of power there. But they're also trying to say that, no, in this territory that we won't admit as a state, but still we give total sovereignty and has total power and everything, we're treating them totally correctly. What's the thing that I put the pen in in the beginning is the vaccine like apartheid issue where Israelis, people in the Israeli territories, they had no problems getting the vaccine. People in um, the Palestinian territories, the Gaza Strip, the Rust Bank, vaccine um, rollout was like two, three, four percent. It's still like very, very minimal there. They are still having an issue there. It goes to say that this is a very clear and obvious second class system here. And you can tell when you have a second class system when every time Israel is caught doing something egregious. Like, Caesar, you just mentioned, they bombed offices that you have Al Jazeera and other foreign media in, saying, oh, well, it's because uh, Hamas is <laughs> hiding all of their weaponry inside of all these buildings. So what else are we going to do? We have, that's their fault for putting the weapons there, even though that's very much, like, not the case. Um, and, like, Hamas is a separate thing there. But it's all meant to distract from the fact that, oh... It's almost like we're in an abusive relationship. They made us do this. We have to respond and do this. How else would we, what do you expect us to do? Uh, Hamas, and which is also to be said and mentioned, they have a different power dynamic where they mm-hmm. have to also appear and make sure they look strong against these Israeli attacks or else they lose a lot of legitimacy for power. And like they're constantly trying to battle that as well because Hamas's strategies against Israel so far have not necessarily worked. And I think they're losing some public support in that sense. But like they <laughs> will fire however many rockets. The Iron Dome technologies that have been provided thanks to you and I and all of our United States tax dollars to Israel uh, get down most of them. And so the casualties that can possibly be incurred on the Israeli side are minuscule compared to what the like the way you're going against the Palestinians. It's just like completely asymmetric warfare. And that is the way this always has to be described as asymmetric warfare. Yeah, the other oh I'll say it was going to the power dynamic uh, or the thing you were talking about with Hamas, uh, Dan. That was another thing I wanted to bring up because how I said earlier about Netanyahu Netanyahu worried about losing power. Um, Hamas doesn't, as to my knowledge, controls um, Gaza, but does not control the West Bank. Either trying, like they want to control the West Bank, but is it the Faya, Faya, um, who control the West Bank? Don't know how to pronounce it, but, but uh, they're. But there we go. The, the Palestinian, Palestinian Authority. Yeah, yeah, Palestinian Authority. So there's two different rival factions, and they actually had like different conflicts and stuff w- between each other throughout history as well. But right now, they're trying to hold. Um, like some um, election at an undisclosed time this year. And I think that's another thing of Hamas is trying to show power at the same time that Israel is trying to show power to gain political control. So you have, that's a whole nother dynamic that's going on. That's like brewing a giant storm as well. That also needs to be said too, because they're trying, Hamas wants to gain control of all of um, uh, Palestine, not just of um, Gaza. So, that's another thing. But yeah, they don't have the, the amount of technology and resources they have is minuscule compared to Israel. It's insane. They just don't have the weaponry. Yeah. Oh, Bam, go, go, ahead, go ahead, Bam. Go ahead. Uh, um, I, I think Hamas, like their strategy in, in, in regards to fighting, they want to get Israeli troops in Gaza. They want to get those boots on the ground because that's where they do damage. And last in 2014, 
when those troops got on the ground in Gaza, like they were getting rocked. Mm -hmm. So when it comes down to the fighting, like, I mean, when Israel starts bombarding Hamas and rockets back and their rockets have gotten better um, ever since they uh, got back with Iran and, and Syria and stopped playing those games with uh, Qatar and Egypt. Anyway, um, they 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 have better technology um, and they're whenever Israel starts bombarding, their goal is to send those rockets and hope Israeli troops come on the ground so they can do damage. Israel will kill. They, Israel has the license to kill infinite amount of civilians. They can do whatever they want. Hamas rockets are not going to kill that many. They're not going to. They're they're not going to do any real retaliation against Israel's public. What they want to do is get those troops back in body bags. So the is so the, and that that might be the only thing for the Israeli public to to maybe in forty years want to be like okay let's try to figure something out because we don't want to be having our kids coming back in body bags. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Israel is a very militarized society. Everybody joins the military at a certain age, and they have to do like two years, um, along with Brazil. Uh, <laughs> the, the 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 situation as it is is like Hamas is is small, but they have a lot. They have they have good training, and they have a lot of morale. Whereas the Israeli soldiers, like they're not really like they're they're not really trying to do all that. They're not trying to really go on the ground. So, and as far as, Sean, what you're talking about, the West Bank and uh, the Gaza Strip, like, politically, the situation politically in an occupied territory is just minimal. Mahmoud Abbas is still alive. He's giving speeches and stuff. Nobody really takes him serious. The Palestinian Authority just, you don't really have much authority when you're occupied by these people that hate you. You know, like, you can't, you're, you're really just operating on what they'll let you do. And obviously, Gaza has been like uh, had an em- embargoes for years. They're not able to get concrete. All these different things is really difficult for them. Um, I don't know if the border with Egypt is still closed. There's there's been times it's been closed. I I've I've seen videos of Egyptian soldiers shooting at women and children at that border gate, like gr- like grandmothers, like shooting them. Get out of here! It, it's really such a terrible situation. It's constant. And I'm not going to get into how it could possibly stop, but I do have some stuff here. But uh, y'all are letting me ramble, so this is your fault. Um, and I was just, yeah, Bam was rambling, took me off topic. But um, uh, I I think that one of the like the more damning statements is when the defense minister of Israel basically said that you know Gaza will burn. Like when you say something like that, like that's telling to you what Bam said, there's an infinite number of Palestinian citizens that they have no issue just murdering and killing. And, and that strategy is, is well, before I get to that, like the Hamas thing to me is like, it's like, if we're going to have a discussion about everything that's going on, that's not a focal point for me really, because hum in, 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 in the back and forth, Hamas is like throwing a punch and they have like guns. Like it's it's a it's a whole different situation. That's why I talk about you have the power to restrain. Like you can be so much stronger than somebody and it's up to you to stop this. So if you want to keep pounding that person to the ground, you know what you're capable of. So that's more indicative on you as a person or you as a country when you're able to just keep pounding on people that 
are just going to fight to the end and like that you and you know you have more to wield than them so that's different so in, in hamas like like bam said that's a classic strategy that you've seen very much in, in history where yeah it's all good you have space you have all this but let those soldiers come into the close quarters of the city, get in there. That's where all that doesn't matter because they're not going to bomb their own troops. They're not going to do all that. So they want boots to the ground because they're going to limit air raids and they get to get one-on-one -on -one in close situations. That's happened in, in Brazil with the favelas and the army came in. There's been different situations in history where, where this is a very, very used tactic. So that's just Hamas's approach in terms of wanting to wield that power back, showing the people that what they're capable of doing, how they can still protect them against these the Israeli. That that's all not leading us to somewhere where we need to be. That all we need to stop. We need to stop before we get to points like that. That's not. That's going to make things more difficult. But go ahead, Bam. Uh, Benny Gantz, the yeah, Benny uh, Gantz. defense yeah, minister of Israel, the so-called centrist uh, leader of the Blue and White Party. This is the guy that they try to say is like he he's not as extreme as Netanyahu. He is a is is a war criminal. And yeah, he said Gaza will burn before he said remember what I did in 2014? It's going to be worse. He's like he's saying, yeah, if you if you guys try to fight back like you did in 2014, it's mm -hmm. going to be worse. Yeah. That's been against. This the is the this is the so-called centrist who was trying to they they tried to make some coalition uh, in Israel to like, obviously the politics are insane and there's all these elections. The blue and white party was attempting to make a, co to make a coalition with some Arab, uh, Israeli parties. Some of those Arab parties completely rejected, completely rejected, uh, uh, people getting accosted, the Arabs getting accosted in the Knesset, their, uh, their, where their Congress or whatever is. They, it's one of the most like, egregiously racist just terrible like political systems in the world if you really like if you if you go listen to what these politicians talk about they like are proud of killing palestinians they fight for like no look when you remember what i did when mm -hmm. i killed all those palestinians mm -hmm. oh no no i'm gonna do more like netanyahu been against yeah. go back and forth like being oh, racist oh. towards them is like actually gets them political power oh, gets them more yeah. votes people people want that in their leadership there so when i hear like the whole like oh centers blah 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 i'm like no when you've already aligned on that side there's no other side to it there's no there's no other you're all you're over there buddy to me like for real there's no moderation there's no yeah. sense of like, okay, this person's not going to be like, no, you better get on that TV and talk about how you're going to kill people in Gaza because that's yeah. the only way people are going to vote for you in Israel. And, and lastly, like the, the the quote, I have it right here was, I mean, just listen to this quote for yourself. Benny Gantz said, they're sacrificing you for their personal interests. If citizens of Israel have to sleep in shelters, then Gaza will burn. There, it, there is no other equation. If if they have to sleep in shelters, I'm gonna burn that whole region of people. That's uh, yeah, dehumanizing to say the least. Speaks for itself. Yeah, and they will do it. Yeah, but it, it makes sense for like uh, Bam's point earlier. Um, uh, I wanted to kind of get back to um, how what um, Israel wants to do with Gaza and stuff that. There's a whole thing of they're trying to gain more control, gain, gain more settlements and stuff. And there's a couple of different resolutions. And the one that they are um, afraid of doing is a ground war because they know if they go in, like what happened earlier, they're going to get rocked because of the Gaza is very, very densely populated for those who don't know. It's almost it's 
insanely impoverished area. They barely get water, like um, food, because all of that, their biggest import is from Israel. So they control all of their, or most of their um, uh, imports. So, um, but when, um, throughout history, when Israel has gone in there, they don't know the lay of the land. Um, Hamas knows the lay of the land. It's kind of similar to how when uh, the USSR invaded Afghanistan and how poorly that went, or when um, the U.S. invaded Vietnam and they don't know the lay of the land. It's kind of a similar situation to that where it would become a, a, like a war of attrition, which is the worst kind of thing that can happen in the world, honestly. And um, within that, that's, that's another thing that um, Hamas is trying to promote, to try and get in there to come to some type of resolution. Because Hamas wants to go to the talking table and say, hey, I want to talk and find a resolution. Israel's basically saying, no, fuck you. And we don't want to talk, which is insane. When the power, the, the country with the most amount of power doesn't say, it doesn't have a two-state solution, doesn't have anything other than their grand ambitions of basically colonizing the entire region. But Hamas is like, we want to have some type of two-state solution so that way we can recover. And obviously they have their own ideas, own things to go with the different powers in the region to go more with Iran, with Syria and all of that. But that's a whole different subject. Um it's just really sad to see one side really be like, hey, we want to talk, we want to go up to the talking table, other side going, nope, that's not on the table. We'll burn you before that happens. It's crazy. I think that's the perfect opportunity to move on to the next part of this, which is the fact that we know how we... We kind of have a sense of what's going on with the Israel-Palestine situation um, to some extent. And we know some, a very, very passing understanding of at least where the complexities come about within the internal politics in the region. But externally, of course, you can't really get to this, even like outside the idea of drawing historical parallels. You can't really get to the middle of this story without touching on the fact that Israel, this sits on the world stage. There's a lot of um, global influence. Like, um, never mind the whole fact that Israel is a political creation coming out of World War II and all the justifications and complications with doing that and putting it where it is and Britain doing good old colonialism. As we bring it to today, actually, before we go all the way to today, I am going to throw into the podcast a video that I think is really crucial of Joe Biden who is now currently the president of the United States, but back in 1986 was just a senator. And he was kind of speaking to the main existence of why there is an Israel and why America cares about it so much. If we look at the Middle East, I think it's about time we stop those of us who support, as most of us do, Israel in this body, for apologizing for our support for Israel. There's no apology to be made. None. It is the best $3 billion investment we make. Were there not an Israel, the United States of America would have to invent an Israel to protect her interest in the region. The United States would have to go out and invent an Israel. And in that clip, he is really adamant that if Israel did not exist, America would create an Israel essentially as a proxy in the Middle East. And that has kind of been, you know, that's kind of been the 
idea behind why the United States gets so involved in the region, involved in the Middle East. Of course, it's wrapped in a lot of religious things, like we want to make sure um, the Jewish people have a state, and we want to make sure, like all these other different things that evangelical parts of America have also gotten into. There's some like doomsday revelation scenarios that that also digs into as well. But America has been supporting Israel with that view that it is a proxy in the region and helps provide stabilization um, alongside Saudi Arabia, because that can be iffy, um, against Iran, because Iran and Israel stand as enemies pretty clearly. Um, It provides them a lot of buffer and ability for America to, if it needs to, build on its already large colonial empire. And so coming into this understanding where America sits in this, you usually would expect, and you have, I would say this not just expect, this has been across the board history for like my entire life and a lot of other people's lives as well, unequivocal, unflinching support for the Israeli state and the Israeli government, so much so there is no really difference between the two, like the Israeli state as an idea versus the political government as right-wing and as extreme as it is. There's always unequivocal support from both sides of the aisle on Israel in the United States. However, it has seemed that this time there's something a little bit different. And like as we're getting into this, I want to kind of talk about what y'all kind of saw that may have been or felt a little bit different about this kind of round of the what was described by Alex Ward and Vox as the Israel-Palestine doom loop, right? <laughs> um, Dan, you mentioned 1986. You went back, not me. So I feel like I must address a, a minor topic. If, if I get too long, just mute me. Go in. This is the episode for it, so go in. Okay, but you mentioned 1986. I, I, I take responsibility. Go in. Okay, so Biden said that if if there wasn't an Israel that America would have created it, it's something to that uh, effect, yes? Correct. Absolutely the case. But America has a quote-unquote an Israel in that region. Saudi Arabia is a major ally of the United States. Even more important than Israel, in my opinion. But if you remember, in 1973... Saudi Arabia cut off that oil, and it really affected affected the United States to the extent that the United oil States, yeah, <laughs> worse than now with the gas in the plastic bags, um, to the extent that the United States and 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 obviously we all know that the United States foreign policy doesn't matter, Democrat Republican. These these are these are like the imperial empire politics. Power. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When they when that happened. America as an entity realized, okay, like, yeah, like we're allied with these people, but they have a lot of control. They have a lot of power over us. Israel as a state can do nothing to the United States, but at the same time can serve United States interests in the region. But I don't really think United States actually has that much loyalty to Israel as an entity. Really? That's just my opinion. But the the major difference between Israel, Israel and Saudi Arabia is that Saudi Arabia does have something that the United States relies on, whereas Israel does not. Both of them serve the, the United States interests in the region 100%, but there is a big difference there. I, I just want to say that before before um, Sean or Caesar get into what you actually asked about. Fair enough. Yes. Um, 
That's a good point to add. I'll just reiterate that what I was kind of getting towards to ask about for anyone else who wants to comment on it is the differences between like right now and the U.S. kind of response and reaction, especially given what BAM said, the historical context of it. Right now, the U.S. response and reaction with the politicians, at least, and the public to some extent of what's been going on compared to the past. You have a couple congresswomen. You have um, Bam's baby mama, Rashida Tlaib, um, and um, <laughs> Bam, and you've Ilhan used Omar, up all of your allotted time, so we're just going to have to let Sean continue now. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, you have them actually going out and speaking against the uh, atrocities of Israel, which doesn't happen that often in U.S. politics. To read the statements from President Biden, Secretary Blinken, General Austin, and leaders of both parties, you'd hardly know Palestinians existed at all. There has been no recognition of the attack on Palestinian families being ripped from their homes in East Jerusalem right now, or home demolitions. No mention of children being detained or murdered. No recognition of a sustained campaign of harassment and terror by Israeli police against worshipers kneeling down and praying and celebrating their holiest days in one of their holiest places. No mention of Al-Aqsa being surrounded by violence, tear gas, smoke while people pray. Can my colleagues imagine if it was their place of worship filled with tear gas? Could you pray as stun grenades were tossed into your holiest place? Above all, there has been absolutely no recognition of Palestinian humanity. If our own State Department can't even bring itself to acknowledge the killing of Palestinian children is wrong, well, I will say it for the millions of Americans who stand with me against the killing of innocent children, no matter their ethnicity or faith. I weep for all the lives lost under the unbearable status quo, every single one, no matter their faith, their background. We all deserve freedom, liberty, peace, and justice, and it should never be denied because of our faith or ethnic background. No child, Palestinian or Israeli, whoever they are, should ever have to worry that death will rain from the sky. How many of my colleagues are willing to say the same, to stand for Palestinian human rights as they do for Israelis? Um, you have a couple other politicians and stuff kind of saying the same things or like a little milk toast versions of you have like a, um, a Bernie going saying like a milk toast version of that saying that if um, Israel can um, defend itself then you have to talk about how can Palestine um, defend itself as well so stuff in different resolutions of including Palestine as well and not just Israel which is nice to hear you have Andrew Yane's cuck take of um, basically the, the normal uh, politics of America saying oh they have a whole thing. Look at all these things happening against Israel and then realizing that he's in the super wrong because he's a tech bro and doesn't know what he's talking about and then tries to apologize for it because he says he realizes that's the cool thing to do to try and gain more support in his New York race. But that's blowing up in his face. But the things are, it's, it, it's, it feels like to me it's now becoming more of a norm. I say normalized, but it's becoming more normalized of a talking point to see the other view of it, not just one side. One side constantly in the mainstream media and everything. You have different people, different journalists and stuff going on to mainstream outlets at CNN, MSNBC, and so on, 
talking about like what's going on in the ground, kind of the history of the region and all of that, what um, is really going on. And that's nice to hear. And that's nice to see instead of just like all the propaganda and all the other stuff you get throughout American media and um, U.S. politicians and stuff who have vested interests in the region, lots of money, other stuff, um, political ideas, religious ideas, all these stuff that keep have been like going on for 40 50 plus years in this country so that's one thing i've i've got a sense of and especially more of younger people and other stuff online getting more of a sense getting exposed to real uh, atrocities and other stuff in the region and more people getting more information on the entire region as a whole so more people are able to talk about the situation and are now getting educated it's not like us where we've known or like we've known about it for a long time like bam and i have had discussions on this a while ago and stuff and it's um, now it's more in people's rhetoric to talk about it, which is good. That's my big differences that I've seen. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to say. It's kind of hard really to gauge from where we're sitting here to understand how culture has shifted, how things have, how Generation Z is different from from previous generations and in terms of young Israeli and Palestinians. Like, it's hard to gauge that, you know, it's, 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 we, I mean, Biden is now the president, and you're talking about statements he was making years ago, correct? Um, and you know, during his, um, there was the interview we all saw with, was it his press secretary? I, I don't know who that guy was exactly. Who they were asking um, about Israeli response to the Palestinians, and he gave a very typical mid answer, you know, just saying that, uh, well, yeah, people have the right to to fight for their freedom, but then also said that. That wasn't he wasn't talking about Israel Palestine. He was kind of doing a lot of dodging. And yeah, it was someone I see, believe who worked in Biden's State Department, just to be clear. And it was like yeah. really good journalist questions were basically asking. Oh, those journalists him. were going hard. And I, I want to ask you, I don't want to harp on this either, but you know, the Israelis killed 13 people just now. You know, including maybe five or six children. Do you condemn that? Do you condemn the killing of children? Said, uh, I'm asking, do you condemn the killing of Palestinian children? Obviously, uh, and these reports are just emerging, uh, and I understand, I was just speaking to the team, I understand we don't have independent confirmation of facts on the ground yet, so I'm very hesitant uh, to get into reports that are just emerging. Uh, obviously, okay. the deaths of civilians, uh, be they Israeli or Palestinians, are something we would take very seriously. Okay. You're going to know as soon as I read what your answer was that there's a big problem with it. You said, well not a problem, it just doesn't answer the question. We believe that it, meaning the right to self-defense, applies to any state. Well, you see the problem, right? Yes? Do you want to... Do you regard Palestine as a state? I wasn't referring... Do you think that... Do you... Do you, but you, I, but you, you I, don't but in the context of the ICC and the UN. I, so are you I, saying that you do not... If it applies to any state, are you saying the Palestinians don't have a right to self-defense? I, I was making a broader point not attached to... Uh, Israel or the Palestinians in that case. So they do have a right to self-defense. Matt, I'm I'm not I, I I'm not I'm, not, I'm not in a question. position to to debate the legalities uh, right. from up here. What our message is one of de-escalation. Right. Yeah, like you, you don't see that kind of journalism made anymore. <laughs> no, like that is a he was in the wrong room. He's like, wait, yeah. this is a trap. Like, yeah, they had to bump. Guys? They had to bomb some buildings for that one. That was way too much sauce. I had to teach him a lesson after that. But like, all of us immediately start googling what, oh, what where do these guys work at? Right. <laughs> anyway, so they were going hard. Um, but no, like, um, it, it's hard. You know, it, it's we. What's our metric? What's our metric for reading what what responses? Because 
Um, you know, we are seeing at the same time a lot of uh, uh, people taking what otherwise we see as left, left and progressives having a different opinion on this issue over there, having a different viewpoint. When it's funny to me that we're in a country that, you know, has spent the last three years or so transitioning to a different style of government after the, the Trump administration to now to, to Biden. And we're seeing all these laws and things being passed and the changes, something sparks up in Israel. And now we're seeing, you know, people, at least that I follow, kind of having a very different answer than what I would expect, you know, especially in their support of how things are here. So, I, it's hard to gauge to see, but I am happy that there is um, more resources available for us to see more responses to it. Now, I don't know with algorithms how things are working out in terms of what we're seeing in response to it and what we're actually getting to look at. But it's nice to see that there's more options and more places that we get to see you know, what's really going on in a region and how the response is to it. To, to narrow your focus, Caesar, because I think those are good points, especially in like a public sense, because we want to try to like delineate what's like politics is like the public versus politics is what regular people are like. Think, politics versus the public and what regular people are thinking versus politics and what are the political actors who are elected doing, right? And the context of like the political actors, I think right now you're seeing like, I mean, you mentioned or was mentioned earlier, Rashida Tlaib's like really powerful, like, she really like cried speaking as a Palestinian woman um, and through those sort of uh, experiences. It was very strong. It's the sort of thing that you wouldn't necessarily see beforehand. Um, not to tease a little bit of the fun we'll have later in the show, but uh, Glenn Greenwald was tweeting about how you wouldn't find all of the favorite like politicians of the left actually speaking out about this like horrid act of military intervention. And uh, all of those... Congress people that he was subtweeting, the AOCs, the Jamal Bowmans, the Ilhan Omars, the squad people who like we can quibble with on different things on another day, specifically Ilhan Omar. I think she's a little bit like moderate liberal for me. But on these issues of American like um, foreign policy as it involves to like funding these governments that end up causing this damage in places that I mean, in ways that Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib have like personal lived experience with, uh, they spoke out very forcefully with it. And I think um Usually, like, you have the Democratic Party, for example, who they have their um, influences and many of the people within the party will kind of come out and speak sort of in that way. I'd say Andrew Yang kind of gave the old school standard Democratic Party approach to that answer. And when I was on the damage report with John Iderola earlier this week, I had a specific kind of take for that, considering uh, my experience covering Andrew Yang, perhaps longer than anyone else in media. I'm not really cocky about a lot of things, but I'll say that for a fact, because I interviewed Andrew Yang on TYT, or I had him on one of our shows, two days after, or like a week after the 2018 midterms ended. So like at the earliest possible time the 2020 election started, I was following Andrew Yang. And so I, I knew that this like lunatic is just like not good at foreign policy. And he has no real intellectual curiosity around foreign policy. I don't think Andrew Yang is, has the intellectual curiosity to repair a lot of the like things he's saying, even knowing this backlash. But like in case Andrew Yang is listening, you're fake. You're lame, you're a sellout and a half and a silly son of a bitch. You'd be a terrible mayor of New York. And if you had a political conscience, you'd stop eyeing power and direct wealth better towards people who are better suited for actually having power. Instead of wasting New Yorkers time for your own opportunistic ends, just stop it, go home. So I had my comments around that. But like, I think Andrew Yang's comments are kind of more typically what you would usually get is that like, you know, um, 
Israel has a right to defend itself. I want there to be peace more broadly, but like no acknowledgement of the actual power imbalance in the situation and a lot of whitewashing of what Israel is doing as a essentially colonialist state. And Andrew Yang, within his own campaign, and of course, externally on Twitter, he just got rolled. But internally within his own campaign, there are a lot of people who are like, this is an existential make or break moment for me, Andrew Yang, because I thought you were for like human rights and all these like things that... Um, Honestly, if you're gullible enough to work for Andrew Yang and believe those things, like, whatever, that's your fault. But, like, um, to believe he's anything more than just a soulless, blood-sucking business person who, like, is out for money and maybe selling some books, that's your fault. But Andrew Yang had come and forced back and, like, to pair back that statement. And so I don't think, like, Andrew Yang is running for mayor of New York. He's just, like, a major figure. He just happens to be easy for media attention because of these things. Um, I, I pointed out more on the TDR if you want to watch that clip for that, Andrew Yang specifically. But I think... There is a little bit of a sea change here within uh, the same Republican talking points of uh, Hamas is using children as like shields and all these other different things. They're not working. Um, alternative media, like we've mentioned before with Empire Files, is like starting to work mm-hmm. better and it's starting to get mentioned a lot more and people are seeing it more. And I think that in addition to this po- this political sort of leadership from a lot of progressives who are taking a really bold stance here because being even seen and perceived as anti-Israel will have you bombarded from the right wing who is acting in bad faith. I'm not even going to mention those bad faith actors here because these are human lives that have been lost and the game they play is absolutely fucking disgusting. But I think the fact that these politicians are able to stand and have a point to what they're saying and they feel like they are... um, being able to stand up for what they're doing is also creating a positive feedback loop with regular people who are out in protests and demonstrations and are speaking out on these things and are demanding that, um, at least from a policy perspective, as we get into Bam's favorite question, the United States begin to condition aid to Israel on a nonviolent strategy against the occupied territories. Um, I, I guess that's like a starting question to like kind of continue things here. Like as we get to solutions moving towards like better resolutions toward these things. Uh, That was one step that I think is positive from the activist side of things of conditioning support of Israel um, on more nonviolent steps. But like, what do y'all think of that and where can it go forward? I'm especially curious of Bam's thoughts on this. Oh, oh, as I was looking something up, uh, no, I'm just joking. Uh, This is going to be, um, I'm going to try to not get too deep into this, but, um, and, and this is probably, I don't know if it's controversial, but, um, I don't, maybe, maybe you'll disagree. I, I guess it'll make for some conversation. I don't really think that the way to it, I don't think that America has as much power in this situation as people think. Um, obviously, like um, the United States of America is like the world dominant power, but I, I think that this issue with the um with within Israel and the occupied territories, I think that the region itself has a lot more of a role to play than America. I'm aware that America gives a lot of money to Israel and things like that. Um, I don't think that's necessarily going to stop. I don't think that actually needs to stop for the situation to be uh, to to start to be resolved. I, I can't pretend to know what resolved actually looks like, but for some for a process to begin to resolve the issue, um, we we have 
the regional powers over there, Egypt, uh, who has a peace treaty with Israel, which uh, allows it to get the second most amount of foreign aid from uh, America after Israel. Um, that peace treaty was made in what, 82 or 72 or 83? 83? In the 80s. Whenever the, right, they killed Anwar Sadat after that. Um, we got Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iran by proxy, uh, Hezbollah, and in a, in a very minor way, Hamas. Uh, we just recently, and this is big news for me, just recently, I want to say five days ago or so, Iran and Saudi Arabia held talks in the UAE. What, if, if Iran and Saudi Arabia having bilateral talks in the UAE in regards to things going on in that region. The reason why that's important, not just because they seem like these eternal enemies, um, which they're actually not. Don't let anybody tell you that, oh, it's because one Shia, one Sunni. That's actually racist. Um, they, they used to be allies before the Iranian revolution. Um, it, not only is it important because they are like at each other's throats uh, politically currently, but because it doesn't include America. It doesn't include this big power. They're, hey, let's go, what's, what's going on, man? Can we figure something out? They've already kind of done it in regards to Yemen. Uh, the UAE pulled out. They had some, they, they kind of like came together and to do something about Yemen. Not that it's perfect. Um, I do think the regional powers in the Middle East have a lot more of a role to play when it comes to Israel. Israel had just recently, these past few years when Donald Trump was in power, went on their charm offensive. They had some kind of like, it, you know, some level of a peace treaty with or opening up dip diplomatic relations with Morocco, Bahrain. I want to say Qatar in, in regards to that too. Um, also Saudi Arabia. Netanyahu like went to Chad or something like that or Sudan. I can't remember. He, he went to one of them countries. Um, but I feel like what's happened is that these uh, Arab nations haven't really seen much of a result from that. They're kind of realizing that we were, we're being used as like, oh, look, see, Israel isn't that bad. Look, they have these relations with all these Arab countries. I really hope that's the case, that they're kind of seeing like, okay, you know what? Like that was cute when Trump was in the office or whatever. We didn't really gain anything from that. So let's try to like come together um, and not necessarily not not that they, not that they're doing it against Israel, but if these regional powers can get some level of like diplomatic, uh, just being able to communicate with each other and not be like doing proxy wars with each other in Yemen and Syria and stuff, then we can see a lot of pressure to be uh, being put on Israel to. Uh, allow for water in Gaza and like allow this embargo to end. Um, Turkey's also a, a major person. I totally forgot about Turkey. Um, Turkey kind of goes back and forth. Erdogan's weird. Um, also the to European say the least, that's the understatement <laughs> of power report history. Erdogan's weird. Holy <laughs> shit. Dude is insane. Bro. <laughs> well, it's, 
Well, it's interesting because the Turkish military has like through throughout for forever has always had good relations with the Israeli military. They used to do a war games together and stuff like that. I don't really know what's going on nowadays with that. Erdogan has like positioned himself as a friend of the Palestinians, but it does go back and forth. That's complicated. But if these regions and, and Turkey would have to be included in that, they can make it so Israel, even if Israel's getting $5 billion a year from America, it, they can make it so things have to be more livable for people in the occupied territories and also more livable for the Arab residents of Israel. It will take time. It ain't going to be perfect because I, I'm, I'm sorry, you're dealing with a population that is like rabidly racist against Arab people, rabidly. I can't say everybody, but a large part of the population, they've been radicalized, really radicalized against Arab people. Not, not to jump uh, into I'm, your point, Bam, but like it's just like to echo that. Like a lot of, uh, I'll, I'll finish counting out again, but um, there was an Empire Files clip that was making the rounds of Abby Martin interviewing a lot of um, Israeli men brutal. on the street, essentially. And they sound like MAGA troll heads. They sound like MAGA chuds. They're like, yeah, get them out of our country. They're terrible. They have to be. I think Israelis have to take over and uh, they have to kick them, uh, kick them away. It will be much better not, not to kill them, just to, to go back to, to Arab countries. But it's really rightfully ours if you look at the history and at like the wars. And we didn't even start a lot of the wars. And it, we we conquered these places rightfully, like it's ours. I don't think there's any answer to it. Really? There's only one way. Like I would carpet bomb them. You would that, carpet bomb them. It's the only it's the only way you could deal with it. Like or or try to stop them a different way. It it never worked. I, I'm. I'm not exaggerating when I'm using words like elimination, destruction, like get them out of here, move them away. Mm -hmm. Not even like find a place for them, just like out of sight, out of mind. And that is the force that the right wing in Israel has to play to. And that like, yeah, you're right. Unfortunately, there is like not much of a left wing in Israel to speak of outside of people who might hold um, like somewhat human rights positions within Israel, like regular people, but like they're shut out for religious reasons. Because of course you can imagine, again, without going into too much history, the um, culture behind the importance of a Jewish state for a lot of the people who live there as Jews. And that, and that gets conflated with whiteness too often because there are Palestinian Jews as well. Um, so like... Uh I, I'm, continue. I've got like 30 more seconds. No, 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 no. no. I, I'm sorry. I went on too long, Bam. You continue. Oh, oh no. This is going to be quick. Um, I, going back to exactly what you just said, um, when you understand Israel as an entity, you have to understand that, like, I'm just going to say it again. Like, this is, they, it's a settler, settler colonial project, and it is an apartheid state. Don't let that word apartheid just be like something to describe it with. A lot of the people in Israel have no idea about what's going on in Gaza and the West Bank. They have no clue. And they completely dehumanize those people over there. They, they're just like, it's, 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 you know, it's miles away. It's a few miles away. And they live a completely different life. And, and a lot of the Israeli citizens could care less. It's like, oh, well, I don't know. The exact same way that it was in South Africa. You would have white residents. They live a few miles away from some shanty town. They don't even know what's going on. 
it's out of sight, out of out of sight, out of mind. The population uh, numbers in Israel are changing. I think the Israeli establishment is getting a lot, uh, getting really nervous about that. The two-state solution is dead. Maybe there could be a one-state solution, a one-person, one-vote uh, situation, and maybe that would be better. I don't know. A lot of those people in the Israeli establishment, uh, Israeli establishment, uh, political establishment, are going to go down fighting, um, and hopefully it doesn't lead to more violence in a more intense way in the future. But these regional powers are going to have a lot to say about that. And I really hope that America is not involved in, in the way that it has been involved in, in past years. America will be involved because it likes to stick its nose in business that doesn't they need to be in. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Should we move on to our, our boy, Glennie? No, I mean, I thought there was... Does anyone else have like any other points about like where... I mean... Would anyone else like to solve Israel-Palestine here? It seems like only Bam has decided to take up the mantle. Bam, um, Bam seems to have a good historical recollection of how to solve it. So I'm just going to, you know, we're going to move on to my boy Big the, the, G. I mean, no, seriously, the only thing, I, the last thing I have, the last point I have is that um, you, you raised a point, Bam, about like, can you, like the extent to which America has a say in all of this. And I think it's important to contextualize that, um, no. <laughs> I mean, like, you're right, bam. Ultimately, America America is just one actor. And although it sends a significant amount of money and has influence in the world stage anywhere and just likes to, like, butt its head and everyone's... America is um, Earth's micromanager, if you will, essentially. So, like, yeah, America has its, like, influence in that sense. But um, as to Wedge's decision, Netanyahu's been making decisions kind of regardless, just seeing that, like, America, like, will have its back, so to speak, Right. Um, politically and whatever it's doing. If they see that, um, and you're not really getting this from the Biden administration, any kind of like speaking out against this is only happening pretty much within the Democratic House and through Bernie Sanders' statements um, being a senator. But um, the extent to which there is political pressure, where I think is a good thing because that's where regular people can come in and start to build and apply that political pressure. Um, And also through non-anti-Semitic efforts of protests, such as um, boycott, divestment, and sanctions. Being able to do those things and spearhead those those things from a public relations standpoint, I think America has the podium and the stage to be able to do that. Like materially, like logistically, um, yeah, I think Bam's right. There's less that can be done, although definitely a start is to decrease the amount of funding that goes to Israel um, it, you, you have to acknowledge that the U.S. did, like, whatever power it does have or doesn't have, during Donald Trump's administration, they exercised a lot of that power to give Israel, especially Israel's far-right government, a lot of, um, you know, like, power. They gave them a lot of energy through their um, movement of the uh, U.S. embassy to Jerusalem, through all these other different measures. Um, the U.S. has influence, and it's not, like, the most concrete material benefit but it is something that is definitely at play here and doesn't make or break anything. But I think um, how America wields its influence and to its extent, how the American political system is pressured to wield its influence by its citizens could be a large role to go for here. Yeah. Uh, also, the recognition of the Golan Heights uh, for Israel, that was a big deal. I mean, it's not a big deal, like probably for the American news consumer, but in the region, it was a big deal because um, Syria like always considers that territory occupied by Israel 
um, and considers itself at a, at a state of war with Israel because of part of its territory being occupied by Israel. Um, and Donald Trump, I mean, you know, it's just one, obviously it's a big powerful entity saying that, no, that is Israel. The United Nations doesn't recognize it as a part of Israel. It does recognize it as occupied territory as well. Um, but yeah, it, America does have a big influence. Like you can't, you can't pretend that it doesn't, but I just, I mean, maybe, and I'm, I'm probably also being hopeful, um, just that America won't, like, the. I feel like the big thing that America does for Israel is leave it alone. Just let Isra- let the Israeli political establishment do whatever they want. And I just don't know how much America could force Israel to not do that. Like, could America get Israel to stop bombing? I don't know. Because I just, I just know that that money is always going to go there every year, no matter what. Right, but so, like, like, I, 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 listen, I don't think that's the thing. Is like, I don't think I'm even proposing this. I'm saying if, if you make it conditional, if America makes their aid conditional, saying you can go ahead and continue like bombing whatever you're going to do, so to speak, but we're not going to give you aid anymore to whatever sense you benefit of that. And maybe Israel goes like, okay, sure, whatever, I continue going on. The stockpile and stuff. Yeah, they exactly. So, like, so, that's yeah, the so, thing. they have from out you know, decades and decades and decades of, of funding and of acquiring um, all of this um, aid from the U.S. They have a stockpile. They have enough that they're not, it's too far gone. It's too far gone of a thing, in my opinion, to reel, them, to reel it back where they have to do it within other forces. Unless the U.S. literally says we will put a, a blockade of ships or something or does like some type of military invention that really threatens and sanctions, yeah. actual so, sanctions like it does against Iran and other countries, then that's maybe the only way that they would actually um, stop something. Right. Like, the, the, then, the, it's the idea of heart of like the idea, basically the, the point that you and Bam are making is that um, economic soft power uh, for America mm-hmm. is no longer like a carrot that it can offer. It's no longer an incentive. Yep. It doesn't nope. matter. It'll be thrown off I, the table, I just, which I think is a I, fair I, point. Yeah, I just don't think so. I just think they're always going to get that money for sure. And if they want weapons, if America says we're not going to sell you weapons, they'll just they'll make their own or they'll just get them from Russia. Um, Putin don't have no damn morals. Um, they, <laughs> the, the, Russia will vote against stuff for Israel sometimes, but like I know if Israel's like come with a few millions, they'll take it. Um, but I just think it'll have to be like the region regional powers coming together in a unified way, not to, not to like um, give Israel necessarily ultimatums, but to like, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm being naive, but just like, look, like this, what you're doing is just not working for you. Like it's not working. Like we have to do something different and it will involve you humanizing these people in the occupied territories. And maybe it will involve making a one state solution and y'all just got to grow up dude like because this fighting back and forth is just not gonna it's just not gonna make it i don't want to see something like 1948 when israel's getting invaded i don't want to see more war more dying um but i also don't want to see israel killing people in gaza and the west bank and violating people's civil rights on a regular basis so there's got to be some something's got to happen to where people can coexist peacefully and I don't think America America's not going to do anything for that. Like not like nothing at all. It'll be people in the region that want peace and stability that which which they have had in the past in certain countries to make that effect on Israel as well.
As coverage of the Israel-Palestine situation and the effect of the United States empire on the situation uh, kind of reaches its fever pitch in America at right now at the time of recording this, uh, you have a lot of people who have spent a lot of their career making bones about reporting on this American empire who are routinely shitting the bed at every opportunity they can to speak about these things because the public mess they're making online uh, helps them with views and helps them with subscriptions. They can continue to um, blog from about their multi-million dollar lives and how cancel culture is coming for them next. Of course, I'm talking about Glenn Greenwald, one of the most insufferable pricks in leftist online media, who decided to um, kind of you know poke his head into the situation because as I'll talk about, in the coming months in a video I'm doing about grifting and all this stuff, it helps to jump into whatever conversation or controversy is of the day, have some wild off-base opinion just so people react to it and the reaction itself becomes a story. Um, nevertheless, we'll bite. Here's Glenn Greenwald on Twitter saying, quote, there's vastly more opposition in U.S. discourse to U.S. invasions of other countries than there is to Israeli invasions. I'll be surprised if more than a dozen members of Congress denounce the Israeli ground invasion of Gaza. It's utter lockstep consensus about this foreign country. Now, Glenn Greenwald is speaking at this time when, like, uh, actual, well, at time of recording, we don't know if, like, this will evolve into a full-on ground invasion. But, like, this is uh, Glenn Greenwald speaking when talks of a ground invasion, at least to some extent, are kind of brewing and ongoing, right? But this idea that um, (laughs) there's more opposition in U.S. discourse to U.S. invasions of other countries as opposed to Israel. Yeah, I'll take that in another period of time. But as we talked about, like, I mean, no, no, bam, you're like kind of like shaking your head. Like, what do you got for that right there, just to begin with? I'm just shaking my head at Glenn Greenwald. Like, don't just ignore me. I'm just mad at him already. <laughs> I told you, bro, it's hard, right? But like, the, the thing I'm getting at is that, like, yeah, maybe in earlier times you could have made the argument that um, people get more upset about other things, but with Israel for a number of different reasons, there's sort of this like sense of uh, we give unequivocal support to whatever this right wing government of this particular country is doing. But now, as I've kind of alluded to earlier, all the politicians he clout chases about are the ones who are speaking out the most forefront about this issue. Um, so again, like, Glenn Greenwald has eggs on his face. He, he's doing this whole, like, again, continued spiel with himself. Um, he continued on saying, there are few humanitarian tragedies on this planet that compare with the lives of Gazans, two million human beings overwhelmingly lung, trapped into, young, trapped in an open-air prison, um, and now one of the world's powerful militaries is invading yet again from air to land. Uh, and he's just like saying it's U.S. money, technology, diplomacy, and weapons that enable it. He's making his own like sort of speech about it there. But he is kind of trying to make this whole thing like he is the defender of the left. He's the one who's this like major person of the, of the movement. Like, he's the one true Scotsman in all this who actually cares about U.S. foreign intervention. Meanwhile, what is he doing? Um, in the United States and are like closest parallel to this when you have um, the citizens who follow a right-wing government to the point of LARPing and fanaticism, terrorizing uh, people of color who want to actively create a situation in this country where they're marginalized and generalized even further. I'm of course talking about Glenn Greenwald's reaction to The Intercept's reporting on uh, people who are media viewers for the Proud Boys and try to cover things and spend things like Project Veritas so it makes it look like the Proud Boys are in the right and uh, Antifa protesters, etc. are in the wrong. Um, Glenn Greenwald comes out saying that 
Uh, journalists have been repeatedly assaulted while covering Antifa protests. Antifa threatens journalists, breaks their cameras, and attacks them violently. The Intercept shows this. They're showing two Antifa, which two journalists they should look out for. This is what this is for, which got the attention of friend of the show, Andy No, who thanked Glenn <laughs> for um, reaching out, saying it's been disturbing to see journalists in recent years celebrate, enable, or even aid others in the assault of harassment of journalists whose views they disagree with. Andy No, who recently tweeted that he nearly suffered a traumatic head injury and nearly was um, brought to the brink of his life because someone tossed a milkshake at his ugly face. <laughs> and he continues to turn that into his big um, 9-11 moment. But like, it was his personal 9-11. I'll get a little bit more into Glenn Greenwald in just a moment, because like, there's more smoke to be had here about how much of a goddamn fraud he is and how much of a grifter he's become to enable the right wing in, in the United States and in the world, especially when it's right in front of his face. But um, who else wants to jump in here on Glenn Greenwald's complete bullshittery? My submit milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. God. <laughs> That's all I got. Oh. Pulitzer well, Prize it's, it's really Glenn. funny. Like, Glenn Greenwald um, is just the epitome of just, like, a flake, like a snowflake, just flip-flopping because, you know, he spent that time. Um, and once again, we've gone over this. I gained so much respect for him at that time when he did the Lula interview, um, was in Brazil, you know, spent time there. And then it's really funny how you can literally sit and see things happen unfold before you. Expose uh, uh, Operation Car Wash and be a part of that big movement. And then you, I, I don't, what, what happens to when you watch this occur and you completely flip? It just, it doesn't, it doesn't register to me. It only registers to me that that the fact that you're a clown. You're a clown. You you you. It's like it's it's the fact that when he was one of his quotes is like, oh well, you know, a, a deciding to attack progressives on this what's going on with the issue, like exposing like who AOC knows and hangs out with. Like literally, what does that actually have to do with anything, my guy? Like we just talked about how many people died. Buildings are exploding. This this is your powerful point. This is your this is your well, you know, uh, check check your own uh, check your own house issue. That that's the one that's the approach you want to take. And we you know we we even talked about how Benny Gates is comment is going on. Like it's it's what like the 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 there's no there's no intersecting lines in this. It's only it's only further reinforcing that it's becoming annoying to me that. He has any sort of platform. I hate the fact that when I see his name somewhere, like I don't even want his name anywhere. You know what? Like I'm not out here advocating for deep platforming. No, whatever. Just I wish I might have to give him the Trump treatment I did was just mute anything with his name in it because I can't take it. Honestly, like he has too much of a voice and he keeps taking stances that are inconsistent with his entire journalistic history and that's the worst part about it you're you've lost your credibility as a journalist to me if your stances are completely bipolar okay and so don't come around now don't come around to to being the quote-unquote no you're none of that you're just whack that's what you are i'm out here it is just like a complete like disgrace like glenn greenwald to, to even show you how annoyed people are with him at this point. Um, there was Micah Flea, I believe, um, who was from The Intercept, who was director of Info um, Security Intercept, who was 
kind of like basically getting into a Twitter war with um, Matt Taibbi, kind of. Well, like, yeah, this this whole kind of came out about this whole story about uh, the Intercepts covering of these Proud Boys pretending to be media, but like acting as these smear merchants for the Proud Boys, essentially. And Matt Taibbi did an article saying the Intercept used to challenge the spy state, and now they're a part of it, saying that um, challenging like, or like, challenging Alex Jones or anything else like this, these right-wingers, is like challenging the spy state. It's kind of ridiculous to say. Also from Matt Taibbi, whose like, takes have gotten worse and worse over the years. But Micah Flea is also like pointing out about how like this point is misleading. But Glenn Greenwald tweets that The Intercept took this person, referring to Micah, saying that it took him to do computer work and then slapped journalists on his name. He's the person who, like the FBI and NSA, is digging through personal data of ordinary Gab users to dox them. And then says, read this exchange with a real journalist asking him about it, referring to the real journalist being Matt Taibbi. So Micah says, <laughs> it's much to your point, Caesar. Uh, Glenn's only real journalism since Snowden was the Lavo Yato uh, Brazil corruption stories, which I helped make possible for him. Everything else has been supporting the American... Uh, has been supporting the American fascist movement dressed up as, quote, media criticism. Um, let me see what was the other thing he said, because it was also really good. It was the technical Snowden reporting that I'm most pr- proud of, the series on X key score, has Glenn's name attached to it, but he actually didn't do any work on it. <laughs> so one of the things where, like, uh, Glenn Greenwald supposedly mapped out, like, NSA's connections to all these different points in the world, so how they get in data even across the world borders. Yeah, that was Micah's role that Glenn Greenwald just kind of took credit for, mm. to talk about um, who's the real journalist or not, from this fucking bozo. It, it, it's really funny. Like, he he became like a little clout goblin, right? Like, it's it's it, it's all good when he had the, the Lula interview. I mean, it was put together beautifully. And now, I mean, at the time I'm following this, I, I'm learning new things and of course i didn't know we we just see the face behind it right that's glenn glenn actually gets to see Lula in prison um or at the the court office where you got to actually talk to him ask him i thought very fair questions very mid middle questions right not just totally in support but letting lula speak it was very done well done and then the articles and the whole uh lava Jato situation that was great and then um, you know, the, the, the Snowden one was pretty good as well, but we don't know the credit, the, how much work is put in. I'm glad that he was able to speak out to let us know the truth because it only became, I, you know, I started to get a really weird feeling about Glenn when he posted like on Twitter, um, while he was in Brazil, some, uh, uh, like work he was doing with like, uh, uh um, impoverished Brazilians. And I remember I was like reading it and I was like getting like, so I was like, what, what's. Mm, I don't know. Like I, I can't remember exactly why, but I was like, I don't know. Something's off about this. And then it started getting really weird after that. And of course, we 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 cover extensively here uh, at the point tipping point for everything. But yeah, Glenn Greenwald. It's 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 of course like the the way he would as a clout goblin that he is call out someone for journalistic integrity and like you're the last guy on earth to ever be allowed to do this. Let alone it's annoying when a journalist can do that somebody else, but you're like last on the list my guy i'm sorry you're last here there's something else about glenn that bothers me um i like i don't know if this is well bam well, what I, is I, it i don't know i don't i don't know if this is valid or not but like a part, of me is, a part of me is like dog like you're not even here dude 
Like you're not even in the trenches with us, dude. Like you're you're out in Brazil somewhere hiding in some compound. Like we're here, dude. Like we're here in the trenches. Like He's nobody no can see you. Like we don't know what you're doing out there. Yeah. Actually, I almost said something crazy. Let me relax. Um, but it's just like, dude, you got too much to say for somebody who's not even here in the trenches, dude. Like you don't really know what's going on here. Like Glenn's been in Brazil for forever. Like he doesn't know like how tense it was when the Muslim ban protests were going on at them airports. And we seen them soldiers with them big ass guns and the people protesting. We know if one shot goes off, it's going to get crazy. He wasn't here when them people uh, stormed the Capitol and like we're all watching it on the news and don't know what's going to happen. Like you, he doesn't feel like what we feel here in America these past years when Trump was in office. It's easy for you to comment on stuff and just be like, well, you're not treating this person fairly. And you don't. Uh, why are you guys being so mean to the problem? Antifa somebody like, no, dude, nobody's scared when uh, the Antifa dudes roll up to the protests. Like, we're not scared of them. Nobody's afraid. Of, like, we got to watch out for them Hawaiian shirt dudes. Uh, the, we got to watch out for the dude who shot that guy in Oakland, who shot that federal officer in Oakland, who was some boogaloo boy. We got to watch out for them. Glenn Greenwald, like, dude, you're over there. Like, just talk about Brazil pro- politics. But it's just weird. It's like, dog, like, I, I don't like I said, I don't know if it's valid, but it just seems very weak to me that you got so much to say. Come out here and, and talk about it. That's a a very fair. I'm sorry, go ahead. ahead. I mean, like, there's a point I agree with that, and there's a point I disagree with that on. Because, like, the point I agree with is that, um, like, Bam, I'm sorry, uh, Bam, no, Glenn Greenwald was reporting mostly for The Intercept just Brazil related things for a while, um, essentially. And then Glenn Greenwald decided that there was a lot more money and attention to be made off of this right-wing grifting, and Substack would give him an extra contract signing bonus for it. So he decided to do that, and he pivoted his coverage towards covering more of, like, those kinds of stories. So, like, that's kind of what led to Glenn Greenwald's sort of, like, editorial decision-making. Now, the band's point about, like, um, (laughs) America, you gotta be here in order to, like, report on it properly. Like, yeah, maybe there's something to that, but I'll actually go to something that's maybe, like, a little bit bigger than that. I think there is a like a metaphorical and physical ivory tower that Glenn Greenwald is in that's the same metaphorical and physical ivory tower that folks like Jimmy Dore sits in. Because the thing that separates me from a person like Jimmy Dore is there's no way in hell that I could possibly say as a person of color, as someone who like has all these other identities, that a Trump administration might turn out better for me or might turn out better for progressives. Like there's no way I can say that about other people. To be able to say that, oh, maybe things won't be so bad under Trump. Hey, we had four years of Trump and guess what? Nothing really changed. To say that shows a fundamental disconnection between what really happened to people of color, what really happened to uh, LGBTQ folks, what really happened to the working class as Donald Trump's like, uh, base was energized by his like daily like bouts of hatred. It's something that you can only say if you don't talk to regular people or you only talk to regular people who worship you and idolize you on the internet. Clout chasing goblin is actually a little too nice. Like if 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 clout were a bunch of dicks, Glenn Greenwald and Jimmy <laughs> Dore would be gobbling that shit here to Sunday, right? Like it is literally unbelievable in the sense that. There is not a story or a controversy or anything to be said where Jimmy Dore and Glenn Greenwald will not immediately jump up to it just to look for some clout. Literally, this like clout dick's about to come into dust. There's like no fucking shit else you can do. Like, 
(laughs) (laughs) There's nowhere else they can go, honestly, but like they will continue to go lower because that's where the clicks are. I, I thought I thought Cloud Goblin was fun, but then Cloud Dick is a new one. That that's is that what they're doing out there in um um in, in South Brazil where he's hiding or what? Twitter I mean, is Twitter is a Twitter is a bag of clout dicks, and uh they're just going for every single one. Let's just leave it there. And honestly, what you're saying is true because if you look at Greenwald, Greenwald's Twitter, which I had to unmute to go look at, um uh th- this dude, it's already he's like referencing intercept articles about Brazil like in March. Of this year, I'm like, what are you doing? I thought you're, I thought you're, honestly, now you should be against Lula. Honestly, like, just to keep it real, what are you doing here? Either you stick to, like Bam said, it, it was all good until he started venturing out. So stick to Brazil politics when he started seeing that bag from 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 messing around with the with the right wing stuff here, tweeting out of out of uh, no IPs in Brazil, some VPN he gets to mess around with down there. It's all good until 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 like. You, you start realizing that you had articles and people start following you based upon a, a stance that I was aligned with when you were talking about Brazil politics. But, you know, a lot of those Brazil politics, you're spreading that message to America. And in America, to be fair, there, I, it's like I'm on the other side of that. So it's like I'm 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 not in, in accordance with what he does. And it's like it gets so annoying. It's hard for me to, like, write it in sentences. Like, I just want to say things I'm not allowed to on here. That's why I don't even like talking about Glenn Greenwald's whack ass. It's just like, I mean, really what it boils down to is like, you want to, you want to believe someone has principles. Mm -hmm. And we've just realized over this amount of time that Glenn Greenwald has no principles. And it's, it's been, it's been hard for me, honestly, like with Glenn and with other people that I've have not looked at their Twitters for months I, like it was, it was hard for me as somebody like on the left and somebody who's like anti-war and stuff like that, um, to realize like some of these people have no principles. And I honestly, I don't know if we we did it on the show, Dan, before, but I know like I was, I, I felt like I was almost like pleading to you, like Dan, like what's up with these people, dude? Like what's going on, man? You're in there. What is going on? But that was an earlier PowerPoint I, episode. Folks can check that. Out. I don't remember the episode, but just listen to all of them. So I work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, because I was like, man, like, I remember, like, you know, 2014 and stuff, like, you guys had principles, but, like, Trump came along, and I just feel like they really saw that there is a lot of money to be made by, like, either toying with the with those right-wing people or just going headfirst in there, and, and a lot of them did it. And, and, and then it goes back right. to, like, the reasons why we started Power Report is, like, you start to look at the makeup of a lot of those people and it is it is pretty homogenous over there. Like, you're like, damn, okay, well, you know, maybe it isn't that crazy because on the low, it's a bunch of white dudes. And, and Bam got to go crazy earlier. So just one more point, and the only reason I even care about this is because, you know, look where we are now. 2019, the article came out about everything that happened, Lula, the, the atrocities, the, the rigged Supreme Court justice, the entire setup just being just being basically to, to get Lula in prison, deem him ineligible to become president, even though he had majority vote, and then come with Bolsonaro, who now was currently president of Brazil, already working on seeing if he can get the next term going, right? And what happened during that time period of 2019? Coronavirus hit. Brazil's uh, uh, economy tanking. The, 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 the 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 amount the the hey I is converted to dollar amount exploding how bad it is right now Brazilian currency sorry uh it, all of that has happened it you one can only think of 
now Brazil being one of the, the most impacted countries due to COVID, uh, terrible death rates related to this. I'm only imagining if Lula was president, this how the situation could be different, how how him relying on, on trying to assess the vaccine, roll out vaccines earlier. So many things could have been so much different. So in a way, his article was important because it was shedding light on what could have been and what could have been in terms of saving literally lives in a country. But to come around and be the grifter and and and, and the clown and flipping on this, that's what's the wackest to me. Because I'm like, you're like, we're kind of playing with people's lives when you're reporting with this stuff. And now look where you are. Like now you're on the other side and, there's people in Brazil dying every day. Like it's, 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 the, it's just the lowest low to me, honestly. I think those are excellent points that Glenn Greenwald should bring up in his interview with Jair Bolsonaro. That'll be like, like a landmark thing where it'll be like, sir, I, I love your work. You've done excellent things, Mr. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Bolsonaro, sir. Um, I'll, 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 I'll fly down there and start throwing hands if I see handshakes between them two. <laughs> Breaking news, I'll you heard it here it first. All. <laughs> well, the, well, with Jair Bolsonaro, Jair Bolsonaro says so many homophobic things. So I wonder if he would even do uh, that. Then I'd be like, oh, you'd be oh. like, maybe I'll turn to alligator if I touch his hand or something. You never know; he might say something wild like yeah. that. Like no lie, it would be the worst of all time in terms of just his moral concept of being a human being to be all good high-fiving Bolsonaro. Like, he can never speak again. Like, not only is that man against your whole project that got you some clout or clout dick, whatever Dan talked about, but <laughs> also, like, that man has said terribly homophobic things, talking about how, you know, running over uh, his child if he was gay and things that were really, really terrible that align with his alleged principles if he has any left. So if that was the situation, I'd be like, you, you should just honestly just get off internet and just try to figure yourself out as a person. That's what you need to do. And, and with that, having pissed off more Glenn Greenwald and Jimmy Dore fans on the internet, I think that's time to end this episode. Um, Power Report, thank you for... I'll check, plug Power Report more broadly. Power Report can be found on Twitter at Power Report WRLD. That's Power Report WRLD. You can check out all of our links and things like that. Um, PowerPort.world on Instagram is also where you can find us. I'll try to get more clips up on Instagram as well. Um, it's just uh, I, I do too many things. <laughs> I got to figure dog, this out. Dog, dog. Um, uh, and yeah, I'll go into Audio Face. Got really exciting stuff coming up in the Audio Face side of things. I'll, I'll also... PowerPort side. We just did an interview with Emma Viglin on the previous episode where we talk about a lot of these things, including BAM's topic, which is actually something I want to explore with a few more guests in a few other episodes about like what happened to the left, what happened to like the beginning mainstream like online left space, and like where is that continuing to go and where does that go from here? Um, Emma and I talked a lot about that and including our like shitty governors um, in California, New York. So definitely make sure you check out that episode as well. And as I was saying on Audio Face, we're going to have our usual music reviews episodes and a special uh, Radiohead bonus, which will be coming up uh, very soon. So um, make sure you check that out at audioface.show or youtube.com slash audiofacepod for those links. Uh, Bam and C's, what y'all got? Well, I just want to say as someone, Dan accused me of... Uh not uh, uh, saying I shouldn't notice things in the background. Please go watch Power Report on YouTube so you can see Sean laying down at some point. Uh, I had a grab. I had a grab. Yeah, just, just please go watch on YouTube. Beautiful. So you can see Sean laying on his bed at some point. Um, and yeah, you can find us at WeMadeItPodcast.com. Uh, Sean was literally down bad at that moment. He was thinking about how 
He already lost Glenn. Now he's losing Yang Gang. So it's kind of getting rough out here for him. That's why he's like, damn, Yang Gang was my last hope. But even during AAPI, Yang Gang decided to flip flop on his own people. But it's all good, though. <laughs> Tom no, Steyer, take that. the wheel. And I, I, I know Sean really loves Tom Steyer, was his third in the Democratic primary. Stay so. here, Steyer, Steyer, stay here, Steyer. <laughs> I have no idea how to say his name. Um, yeah, that'll be, that'll be great. Uh, C- Caesar, you got a stream, right? Yes, I do have a stream. Um, you know, check me out on Twitch. We made it seize. I'm there three times three times a week, seven to nine PM Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Pacific time. And also on YouTube, we made it seize. Uh yeah, check it out. Right on. Uh folks, we'll be back with another power report. You've gotten you know, we could argue more power report than you deserve because you've just done like three episodes of weeks in a row, but I could say less power report than you deserve because I owe those episodes from the times that I skipped. But anyways, um, this Whoa. has been great. And uh, thank you for listening and downloading Power Report. And we'll be back in two weeks with another episode as you deserve. Bye. All right, 10 seconds. <clears throat> Sean's not here. Now he's pegging oh. the cat. I'm pertaining to my cat plus um <clears throat> that's why i start on the one shot to make sure like i'm clean and then i could do that so <laughs> then we run to those things and i have the three as a backup in case bam takes a potty break so <laughs> forehead cam forehead cam forehead cam is camera seven okay